I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Welcome to the Horse Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I talk to Jock Paget. He's a lovely guy, a New Zealand inventor, and he has some amazing horses. You will have heard of Clifton Promise. Jock tells us all about his journey. He talks us through his story of when he first got into riding, up to when he competes at competitions like badminton and Kentucky. And Jock's also kind enough to give us some advice. If you're thinking about eventing, then you've got to check out his tips. I remember sitting there thinking, wow, by the time I get the four-star, I should know everything I need to know. I mean, I think by the time I got the four-star, I think I realised I, I knew enough to know I know nothing. You know, like, it just it just never, ever stops, so... This is Horse Hour. Welcome to an episode of Horse Hour. Today I'd like to introduce you, well he doesn't need introducing, you all know him, Jock Paget. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. The first thing I've got to ask Jock, I'm sure you've been asked a million times, why Jock if your full name's Jonathan? Uh, well, it wasn't my choice. Oh, right. uh, <laughs> As what always happens with nicknames. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was actually given to me through uh, my family. My grandmother's brother was named Jock. Right. And uh, I, I, to be honest, I don't know the exact story, but I think he had passed away around the time that I was born. So I inherited the name. Oh, it's a really cool name to have. I mean, most like, you know, if you're given a nickname, most of them are pretty rubbish, aren't they? <laughs> but it's it's cool. I'm all right with it. Yeah, I like it. Okay, cool. So let's start with then, uh, like, basically how you got into riding and what drove your passion for riding originally? It was just just working with the animal i really enjoyed being around horses it wasn't something that i grew up around you know i i went to school in the suburbs in sydney australia yeah and uh i took on an apprenticeship as a bricklayer and uh, as i was getting to the wards the end of that uh, my father had just gone and moved into a lifestyle block five acres and he'd always enjoyed working with horses when he was younger and so he got a he got a a horse of his own just just for fun just for trail riding and I, I lived with my mother my parents were divorced and so I would go up and visit dad on the weekend and, and my brother would be there and uh, he ended up getting a horse and you know it was, it was either either go for a ride on the horses and, and, and get a horse and play around with them or you know hang out on the couch while they do it so it's, you know it's, it's, it actually started for that just to um, sort of hang out with my brother and father and then uh, you know we all started trail riding together and we went on you know um, you know, sometimes we'd go on like a 60-kilometre trail ride. Oh, wow. Did you go camping? Yeah, yeah. Like you could 
in Australia, it's quite cool. You could, you know, you could take the horses in a, in a trailer and then saddle them up, ride, you know, 60 Ks to a pub. You know, we did this through the Blue Mountains. Hmm. And the horses would stay out the back of the pub overnight. We'd, we'd hang out in the pub. Yeah, there was a whole lot of us. It ended up being sort of like 30 of us in the end. It was um, just a bunch of friends and things. And, uh, yeah, and I just wake up in the morning and ride home with a hangover. It was a great, great weekend. <laughs> Amazing. I couldn't imagine doing that in the UK. The, you know, you get pub rides, but it's just for an hour, and then you've got to go home before it gets dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. You can, it does, I mean, a lot of times, too, you just take your swag and you roll it out on the floor and sleep out of, you know, under the stars. It's really cool. Oh, nice. So already you've got, like, a, a, a quite a chilled-out attitude towards horses then, you know. It's it's about fun because I think sometimes we get so het up on what we should do and what we shouldn't do or what we can do and what we can't do with them. Actually, just taking your horse and having a bit of fun with them is quite important. I think so. I mean, I, I fell into it and, you know, I got more involved purely for the fun of it and the enjoyment of working with horses. I really love the animal. And, mm. and then eventually... Uh, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great if you could spend every day with horses and what a great lifestyle that would be? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, ne- next thing you know, it's all I, all I knew about was horses. As you know, once you get started and you do it as a profession, it's, it totally consumes you. <laughs> they consume us anyway. We're always thinking about well, them. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's true. And is it, like, over in Australia, is it quite a cool thing for a guy to ride? Because over here, when you're young, it's if you're a guy, then it's about the rugby or the football. We're not really pushed towards riding. No, I mean, to be honest, when I started riding, none of my mates really sort of got it. They were, uh, same thing, I played rugby, and it wasn't something that anyone did, certainly not in my area. To be honest, they just didn't really st- understand it. You know, they, if they were going to try and make a joke about it, they would call you John Wayne or something like that. But there was, <laughs> you know, they, they didn't get it. But did they understand eventually, though, what your love was for the horses? Uh, or do they still not no, get it now? I, do they I still? Don't have any idea. You know, like for, for quite a while, I, you know, I'd get a message off a mate that I haven't spoken to or seen for a couple of years, and they might say something like, oh, how's the racing going? Are you enjoying it? Have you won any races lately? You know, they have no <laughs> idea what I do. They just know that I ride horses and they just assume that I'm a racehorse jockey. Yeah. So it's easier to let them think that. <laughs> yeah. Is it true that you did a bit of rodeo back in the day? Yeah, same thing. Fun. You know, one thing led to another. I, I actually got, firstly, I, I went down the western route. I really like the western side. Mm. I really enjoyed watching the guys doing the reining and the camp drafting and the roping and things, and, um, and that led me to the, the bronc riding and the bull riding. And I never rode any bulls, but I got involved with the saddle broncs, and uh, that was awesome. I really enjoyed that. The only thing with that that sort of made me want to move on was that you never got to develop a relationship with the horse. You would just arrive on the weekend. Mm. And, uh, you know, you'd ride the horse for eight seconds if you're lucky and then that's it. You know, you, you may not see the horse again for another two months or something. So it was uh, – that's what got me into eventing. I wanted to do something exciting, you know, something that you could make a career out of. Yeah. Yeah, and, and something that you actually get to work with the horse every day. Is there an element of the adrenaline rush that you like about eventing? Yeah, I think you know, people have to be good with adrenaline if they're going to do eventing. It's, it's a um, – it's a high-speed sport. It's you know, cross country is it is a dangerous thing to do, and it does give you a, a real kick when you do it. So I think that's the reason most people get involved. And then the more you do it, the more you want to progress. 
more competitive one you, you want to be and so on and so on. It just never stops. Mm. And so eventually then you came over to the UK and um, why on earth would you do that? <laughs> well, that's a really good question. I asked myself that quite <laughs> <laughs> When you stood there in the pouring rain and the mud, you're not thinking, God, I wish I was back home. <laughs> <laughs> All the time. No, I, I, I came here for a real purpose. Um, so I decided to get into eventing. and I went and worked in Australia for Kevin McNabb. I spent three years with him. And to me, to start with, I was thinking I'll do this for six months to a year and try and figure out whether I think I can make a career out of this or I'm wasting my time, in which case I'll enjoy this year and I'll go back to Lambricks. But then after a year, I thought, you know, I think I might be able to do this and I'd do another year and I'd do another year and then I'd finish with the job and I thought, okay, well, I'll go and set up on my own. And And I did that and then we had a thing in Australia where the equine influenza hit and we ended up having to stop all competitions, everything. And just at that time, I mean, luck would have it that Francis Steed from Clifton Adventures, who I'd only ever met once, uh, called me up and said she's looking for a principal rider at her yard in New Zealand. Mm. And she had some good horses. And uh, so I, I went over there and met her. And, and that was kind of my first step into being a professional. And being by yourself as well. I mean, you, you had myself, the support, yeah. like the parent of Kevin, and um, that was a big risk that you took there. Yeah, I mean, it was – Kevin is, I think, one of the best horsemen in the world, and he – and I was very fortunate to be around him in, in those years where I was learning everything because I, I knew absolutely nothing when I went there. I did not even know how to rise to the top. I didn't know what it was. Really? I just thought, did you just canter, get on a horse and canter. Yeah. And when he said – you know, I said to him at the end, you know, what do you think, where, where, where shall we go, what shall we do? And he said, well, you've got to leave here because – you're going to get stuck if you stay in this environment. You've got to move on and go do your own thing. And then, so taking that job in New Zealand was you know, anything Kev said to me was gospel. So if he said, you've got to move on do your own thing, that was how I was thinking about it. I need to go and do my own thing. This is the opportunity, so I'll just go and do that. And so then I moved to New Zealand, and Frances is very experienced in sport. She understands very well. She knows how to choose horses, and you know, she basically just said, here's some horses. I'm going to enter you for some competitions, hmm. um, and then this is the ultimate plan, and let's see if we can get there. And then one thing led to another, and three years later, huge support and and uh, motivation from Francis. Just she, you know, she's very good. At, she was very good at pushing me in the right way, and um, she, she supplied the horses. And we got to just say, sorry to interrupt, but um, we can hear all the noise in the background because you're having dinner cooked for you at the moment. Yes. So I just need right. to acknowledge that because people are going to be wondering, like, what on earth is going on? <laughs> do, you, do you want me to get, shut the door and shut the noise if out? you've got a door, that would be amazing. Okay, but, two, um, two seconds, hold on. Okay, Sorry, is that yeah. your wife cooking dinner for you? Yes, yes, my <laughs> lovely wife. You are looked after well. I'm you've got a good well woman there. I do, very good. <laughs> So, so sorry, you were saying, so Frances, you know, she's amazing with horses. And did she, she, did she then become the guiding hand for you? Yeah, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of good people to help guide me. Frances was, is a fantastic owner and she provided me with these horses and her experience in the sport was what I needed because I was very green and, and, you know, I, I knew... I knew what I'd learned from Kevin. I knew how to produce a horse to three-star level and how to go to the competition and do my job at the competition. But, you know, there's, in this sport, there's just so much to learn. Um, and so, so she was very, very good on the other side, which I hadn't had much experience. And then we got to the point where, you know, we jumped around all the tracks in New Zealand and we needed to step on and do more. And, and that, that prompted the move to England because 
I needed to qualify for the World Championships. Yeah. I came over and I did uh, Kentucky in 2010 in April as my qualifier. Wow. And we, we did that. We managed to qualify there. That's a big, that's a, like, one of the biggest to, to go to to qualify. Like basically you're starting over in England, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't first choice. My first choice was actually Adelaide. It was much easier, but hmm. the horse was pricked by the farrier by it was only I think eight weeks before it so sorry what does that mean pricked pricked. um so the nail went a little bit close when he was getting shot oh okay yeah um he's promise has quite thin walls he's quite tricky to shoe and you know it's it's one of those things that actually he never he never did it any other time but it just happened eight weeks weeks before um so that was it we couldn't go you know by the time he was good to ride again I'd, I'd lost in a couple of weeks in a very important time in his preparation so I couldn't make that up so we uh, decided not to go and just put all our eggs into one basket and go and do K- Kentucky. And what was that like for you then the first time just getting there and being there because it's a massive environment? Yeah it was I mean you, you try and convince yourself it's just another competition and you know this you know, all, all the things to try and keep it simple but yeah it, it is you get there it's amazing setting you know, the course is like nothing I've seen before. The standard of riding is like nothing I've seen before. So, you know, you do feel a little bit out of your league for sure when you get there. Because mm, you're quite young, aren't you? Didn't you start getting into this a little bit later than some of the others? Yeah, I was, uh, well, 20 when I started and I was 25, I think. So uh, five years of riding properly and you're riding at Kentucky already. It's incredible. Yeah, it felt pretty quick. I was five or six years by the time I got there. I, was, I think I was 25 or 26. And do you think it gets, does it get a little bit easier the more competitions that you ride or do you put so much pressure on yourself that you, you're always striving to be, well, obviously you're always striving to be the best, but is there more pressure when you first start out? Uh, you know what? You'll always find a way to pressure yourself no matter what situation, whether mm. it be uh, because it's your first four star or because it's your second four star or it's a selection event or, you know, you're in a position to win or you've won and now you've got to win again, you know, that every time you can pressure yourself. So you know, it's just about preparing well, getting there and doing each job as it comes along. And you, you don't get, you don't learn that until you actually keep throwing yourself in those high pressure situations and you have to find a way to deal with it. So some of it then is just purely down to experience, isn't it? So these guys yeah. give you the tools and then the rest is you kind of on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it sounds hard work. <laughs> well, it's, it's all part of it. And everyone who does it has to go through it and they all, everyone finds their own way to deal with these things. Is there anything that you, would you look back on yourself then and say, oh my God, if only I knew this then? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot, a lot of it is I look back and I think, geez, that was a bit dumb what I was thinking. At the time. You know, like, for oh. instance, when we went to Kentucky, I, you know, it was one of those things where if you get selected for your country for the world championships, they cover your flight from New Zealand to Kentucky and back to New Zealand. Hmm. But we needed to prove ourselves to get selected. And of course, no one's going to pay for you just to fly from New Zealand to Kentucky if you're not selected. So we had to, we had to put, put, you know, put that up ourselves. Um, Francis and I had agreed to split that between us. I had no money. I didn't have anything to my name. I was going to be in debt for a very long time had I not got selected. Hmm. So that to me was the biggest pressure, making sure that I actually got there, got qualified and got selected for the World Championships because then uh, the flights and everything would be covered, which was an enormous amount of money for me, something that I would have been paying off for a very long time. So I was more worried about 
making sure I got through our first job. Um, yeah. Just so I could, yeah. Otherwise, I wouldn't have even been, I wouldn't have even been able to afford to fly home. Wow. They say that about many entrepreneurs in business, actually. But just the section before you're really successful, you're almost in a complete dive of there's no way out after this. Right. Um, and you've got to take that risk in order to become really successful. So if you hadn't, you know, put, got the money together and put everything into one basket, then there's a chance you wouldn't be here now. That's, yeah, I 100% agree with that. Cool. So after Kentucky then, what did you do after that? You know, did you, you made a base in the UK and did you have a plan? I mean, is Frances over here as well or is she still in Australia? Frances kept the base in uh, so she's in New Zealand. She oh, kept sorry. The ba- she kept the base in New Zealand. And yeah, there, well, by the time I went over to Kentucky, we had like 30 horses there. Wow. It was quite a big operation. Um, and then I'd come over here to get qualified and selected for the World Championships. And then once I did Kentucky in April, an opportunity came up with a guy in um, England who um, was close friends with Blythe Tate and uh, he'd supported him as he was coming through. And, and you know, he had a a few spare stables at his yard and yeah he's just a really nice man he loves the sport and um you know he, he just likes to one of those people that likes to help people and he um Blythe had called me and said you know there's a there's a couple of stables there if you wanted to go there and uh, be base leading you know f- from now on or leading up to the world championships and so I, I you know called this guy and had a chat with him and um he sounded really good over the phone and I spoke to Mark Todd about him and that, and everyone gave him a really good review. They said, you know, he's a great guy and he can um, you know, be a good person to be involved with. So I spoke to Francis and I said, how about we do our preparation for the World Championships from England and I can compete against all these guys that uh, just showed us how to do it in Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, she, she said, okay, let's do it. So I, the horse got flown from America. He was staying with my mate Boyd Martin in America got sent from there to England where I met him at this person's place in Surrey Mm. and uh, then I spent the next six months preparing for the world championships from there and I was training with Mark Todd and I was working with Andrew Nicholson and I was you know I just had really good guys around me it was a really good network the New Zealand team yeah very strong I've worked very closely I have worked the whole way through with Eric Devander who's the coach and uh, it was just a, a fantastic environment to be in with these guys and their experience and uh, I called them the three wise men. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting with eventing. It seems very different to the other equestrian disciplines and that everyone's really friendly. Like no matter who you speak to, the whole world just seems to be really, really, you know, they're happy to help. They want to chat. It's just nice. A nice yeah, it's, environment. It's a great sport like that. Actually, the camaraderie is pretty cool. Yeah. So you got on well with them then and they were all kind of like you were helping each other out. Yeah, yeah, they were helping me and um, you know, working together and I was getting lessons frequently with Mark and, you know, as I've always trained with, trained with Eric, but he was back and forth from New Zealand, but they were working together on that. And then I went back to the World Championship, so that was my second four-star uh, with Promise, the same horse. And um, the first time we went there in April, we were 27th. We didn't really finish anywhere. And it was quite an average performance in all three phases. And this time we went back and he did a very good dressage to the it was a personal best by, I think, about 15 marks. Wow. Um, and he was very fast, cross-country and clear, and then clear show jumping. So we ended up finishing seventh. Wow. Yeah, which was huge for us, yeah. It was a really, really cool result. And um, I got to kind of kick-started everything off. And then after that, I thought, well, there's opportunity here. And uh, I've got a good horse. 
and uh, there's good people around us, so let's make the most of it. So that's when I moved back over. God, and that was it then? You haven't looked back, eh? Yeah, it's been, you know, it's been uh, amazing. I've been here now. I'm going into my seventh year, actually, so it's, it's amazing how quickly it all goes. But, yeah, no, it's been a, been a pretty cool ride. So when, when you're taking, you know, when it's Clifton Promise, when you're taking him to these events, what is it that you're looking for to help him get that a little bit further? Because I don't know, Jock, I'm not, you know, I'm not an amazing rider, but I guess when you get to a certain level, there's only small things that you can change to beat the others. Yeah. So what, what is it that you're looking for to help your horse get over that bit quicker or to, to do a better test? Well, there's, I mean, there's, it's details. There's so many things. In there, we've all got these weaknesses, and if you break the test down, mm. the, the most important thing is to, with the with the dress, if you just take the dressage, is to ride the movements you do well. For your so, say, your horse can sit on a steady seven point five mm. and seventy five percent. If you make no mistakes, I mean, if you do a seventy five percent test and finish on it, then that's enough to win most competitions or very close to it. So, you know, for, for a horse like Promise, he does everything in the test. There's nothing that he can't do. He's, he can work round the clock. He's very, very strong. Um, so I get to do a lot of training leading up to it. Some horses, 15 minutes a day is enough. So you don't get to really hone in on those skills and those details, like you know, perfectly straight center lines, perfectly square halts, all those sorts of things. And with Promise, I could do that. So, you know, I could ride him. Not hard work, but I could ride him three or four times a day if I wanted to, and I could just go for a walk and I could do 50 halts and, you know, 40 of them would be square. Wow. And, you know, I would try and get that to the point. If, you, if you're if you doing 50 halts and 10 of them are square, okay, the chances of you getting a square halt in the tests, not so great. But if you can train and correct it and train and correct it and you can get it to the point where you're doing, say, 45 out of 50 square halts, then you've got a very high chance of doing three square holds in the test. Mm. Um, and when you do three square holds, you know, that could be three eights across the board versus three, three holds that aren't square. It could be fours and fives. Um, and that, and that, and you know, there's places you can do that all throughout the test. So it really is working on all those little details, being straight when you're supposed to be straight, getting to the marker, having the correct frame, you know, showing expression, relaxation, all those things. So it's all about the preparation, isn't it? So actually there isn't, when you're at the competition, you're just doing what you've been doing for ages? Yeah, sorry, to, to answer your question, yes, all the work has got to be done leading up to it. When you get to the competition, it's just making your horse happy, sweet, feeling good in their body so they can go in and do their best work in the ring, not before they go in or after in the ring. Um, yeah. and, that's, and that's knowing your horse and the experience you just have together and, and knowing what you need to do to set them up for it. I guess you have an amazing relationship with Clifton Promise because you said earlier that you wanted to have more of a relationship with your horses. Yeah. Which is why you got into eventing. So, like, what do you do with him? Is there anything? Um, I mean, Promise is er, – earlier on, he used to need a lot of work because, you know, before everything was so consistent and he understood his job so well um, – yeah, but it was much harder, and the dress the dress side we weren't getting the same scores out of. But once once he went through the change, the stage of you know getting those changes, and me being able to just do them like it's an exercise and not a big deal, and a medium trot without him getting too fired up, and all those things. Once they just become movements or, or tricks, so to speak, then the job is so much easier because you can ask for these things as much as you want, and the horse stays with you. 
So once I got through that stage, which was that was kind of, I guess, he, at him at sort of 10, 11 and 12, hmm. by the time he was sort of 13, 14, everything was so well established. He was so professional. Even when I go into the dressage ring, even if I felt that he was a bit excited or affected by the atmosphere, the best way to make him feel better is just take him into the ring and he's like, okay, this is my job. <laughs> and he was, he was such a pro in the end. And I remember taking him to Burley in 2014 where the flyers were out. It was really hot. He was a bit bothered by everything and he didn't feel great at all in the warm-up. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, no, this is not going to be good. And the last five tests I've done on him at Forza would have been sort of in the 30s or, or maybe a 40 or something, but they were all being sexual tests. And I thought, oh, no, this is not going to be good. And I'm in a while, I'm like, oh, well, I'll just give him a stretch. I've only got two minutes to go. There's nothing I can change now. And uh, when they called me in, I just picked him up, took him into the ring and just like snapped back into his professional way. He went in <laughs> and won the dressage of a 38. Oh, awesome. But if, if you had asked me how do I think it's going to go f- just before I went in, I would have said, well, it's going to be terrible. Don't video it. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? I th- Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. They, yeah. they pick up things so quickly as well, don't they? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the thing you've got to remember as a writer too. Once they know their job, you don't have to go over those things as much. The details are important to make corrections here and there so they're um, on the job. But, yeah, when, when they know their job and they enjoy their job and they want to do it, they become very reliable for you. Are you going to miss him now that you're retiring him? Well, I think other people will miss him more than me because I'm very happy about the situation and mm-hmm. he stay, he stays with me, so I'm not going to miss him because I can see him any time I want to. Oh, brilliant. So when you retire an eventing horse, does that mean they're like full-on retired, they're never ridden again and they go out to the field or does he still get hacked? To be honest, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Not not for me. I'm, I'm still going to hack him and uh, my wife Tegan's going to ride him. So, yeah, he's still going to do plenty. He's just not going to compete. Oh, that's okay. Well, he's part of the family now, isn't he? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's nice to know that he's going to be settled with you. Exactly. And I think, you know, the next challenge with Promise now is to get him to take a step back. You know, he doesn't have to be a high performance horse anymore. He can just be a happy hacker, you know, just trying to get him to enjoy just 
going for a stroll, you know, because he thinks we go for a stroll. We're now going for a gallop or <laughs> you know, going to do some serpentines on the side of a hill or something. <laughs> that would be really, I'd be really interested to speak to you in a year's time to see how he has made that change. And if it's, if you're struggling with him, <laughs> whether you've got a crazy rearing horse or whether he's well, nice and relaxed. <laughs> and no, this is the next challenge. It's funny that like, I rode him uh, a week ago or so and I took him into the arena. I've got a couple of cross country jumps in the arena at the moment, just mm-hmm. portables. And uh, I took him in there and I went to put him into a shape. And then I was like, oh, no, you don't have to do that, buddy. You can do whatever you want. So I just got <laughs> off his back and went for a little bit of a trot and a canter, popped a couple of these cross-country jumps, and then I walked him back up to the stables. And normally when I get back to the stables, I'll ride the horse into a halt and uh, make a correction if it's not square. And I went, I went to do that again. And I and he, I could feel him going to move his legs to stand square. And I was like, "Oh no, that's no, all right, buddy." Don't I dropped the reins, and he stood like a spastic. And then I'm like, "Oh, good boy!" <laughs> I'll, I'll give him a pat and put him away. Oh, bless him! How does Tegan get on with him? Because is, is she a well? She must be an amazing rider to be able to handle him. Yeah, Tegan is a very good rider, and she rode to two star level herself in a day. And um, you know, she's she's great on the flat, in particular. And, Promise is a real gentleman. He's not going to uh, take advantage. He's um, very friendly in the barn, so I think everyone's going to have a good time. He's, he's very easy. So do you do you own him? No. Frances Steed owns him, so founder of Clifton Adventures. Yeah. She owns him, yeah, but she's kindly let him stay with me, so... I That's would, uh, nice, because there's always a risk, isn't there, if you're, if you're riding other people's horses, that they'll want to take them on somewhere else? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, Frances thinks just as much of Promise as what I do. She, you know, she's known him a lot longer than me. She bought him as a three-year-old. She chose him um, at a very early age, and you know, she believed in him when other people said, you know, he's, he's not going to be able to do anything. He's, he's this or he's that. And, and they uh, wiped him off, and Frances fully believed in him. When she called me when I was in New Zealand, uh, she said, I've got this horse, Clifton Promise, and uh, I believe he can be a champion. And... And I'm sitting there going, oh, okay, I've heard, heard this one before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But she's right. She's got a good eye then, isn't she? Yeah, no, she does. She's got a very good eye. And now, because you've got some others coming through, Clifton Lush and Clifton Signature. Yeah, more, more good horses. Are they from the same breeding history or is it just because it's Clifton horses, that's why they're called Clifton at the beginning? Yeah, so they're not bred by Clifton. Clifton is the prefix. So Frances selects these horses and then she puts the prefix on them. So how can you choose then? It looked like you have two horses that are very similar stages. How do you choose between the two different horses which one to take to each event? Well, that's a good question. It's different competitions suit different horses. And when I had Lush and Promise running together, Mm. I obviously really enjoyed it because they're both fantastic horses. But it is, it's just known that if you get an early draw, it's very hard to get a good score in our sport. It happens. Sorry, Jock, what do you mean by an early draw? An early draw to competition. So if you take two horses to a four-star, yeah. if, you, if you have a horse go out in the first group, so in the first ten, it's, it's just the way it is. And I, I think things are getting better now, but it, you tend to get scored harsher in the early stages of the competition. Oh. And if you do your dressage, say, on Friday afternoon versus Thursday morning. Oh, so that's the risk you take when you take two horses to a competition. One of them potentially won't get scored as well as the other. It doesn't always happen, but it, it's something that can happen. And yeah, it's, it's, it's known well enough in the sport. But then equally, you have other issues. So if, if it rains all weekend, 
the horse that goes at the end of the day has to run in the deep mud and they have to work a lot harder and it's probably going to be more difficult for that horse to get the time. Mm. So, you know, that's the sport. There's so many variables. But taking two horses that were cap- that are capable of winning a competition to the one competition always, to me, felt, you know, I always asked myself, why am I doing this? What I should be doing is taking the horse that's capable of winning and a young horse that's getting mileage and the horse that's getting mileage can hopefully be the first horse that goes out and set you up and give you a feel for the course and everything. And then you, the second horse can be the horse that goes and wins the prize. Does it make a difference if you've done the course once already? Would that, yeah, yeah it does help you. So yeah. do you think there's a bit of an advantage of doing that? Yep, definitely. <laughs> is Absolutely. it called cheating? No, it's, uh, <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's allowed. It's I know, sport. I'm joking. But it does for sure because when you set off and you're out on the course, and you check in your minutes and you know, okay, I'm down at the fifth minute, but I easily made it up to the eighth minute. When you go out on your second horse, you know that. That's really useful information to, yeah. not, to not overcook your horse early on because you know you can make it up. Think, things like that. There's a million different reasons why it can be useful. So it's worth it for like a practice run then really, isn't it? Yep. Absolutely. The other thing I was going to ask is, you know, the the three main ones, Birdie, Kentucky and Badminton. Yeah. If you do each competition on a different horse, can you still win the Grand Slam? Yes. As long as ah. you do as long as long you do them all yourself, any horse is fine. It just needs to be consecutive. Oh, that's interesting. So again, going back to your horses that you're choosing for what they're good at, depending on what the weather's like and what the course is like, you could actually enter them both, but only end up riding one. Is that right? You could, yeah. I mean, but like you say, I'm trying to build a team of horses to win all competitions, not yeah. just one. I mean, Promise was a very good horse for Burley and Badminton and those, you know, real serious four stars. He's a very strong, fit, fast, and good jumping horse that can also do dressage. But then if I wanted to go and win, say, Arken, uh, which is a really cool CIC three-star competition in Germany, I don't need the same horse for that. I need more of a little pocket rocket, a little pony, can do a very good dressage and can zip around for six and a half minutes really quickly and lock onto skinny fences. You know, CIC horse, hmm. I, I think, is a different horse. If you want to win consistently at CICs, you want a different horse to if you want to win badminton, Berlin, Kentucky. That's interesting. What would you say is your ideal CIC horse? Um, something that can accelerate very quickly and slow down very quickly. The horse doesn't need to be able to go for 11 or 12 minutes, six and a half, seven minutes is fine. Uh, they need to be very good movers and be able to do a very polished test and then you'd be able to show jump clear. And I say with the if they're sharp cross country and can accelerate quick and slow down quick and turn quick and all the rest of it, then they mm. can make the time where it's normally very difficult. They sound like the dream horse. <laughs> yeah, they are. But, and, and it's easier to get them because I think that you can get away with not having thoroughbreds in the CICs more than in the CCIs. When you're doing badminton, Berlin, Kentucky, personally, I prefer thoroughbreds for that. So what breeds would you do for the um, CIC? For CIC, I quite like, um, you know, I've got a few Holstein-bred horses. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, I really like them for that. You know, they're, you know, they've got 50, 60, some 70% thoroughbred in them, mm. um, but they move, they jump. They're very sharp. Uh, they're very cheeky. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I, personally, I think that those are going to make great CIC horses, and, and I've got a handful of... Um, proper old school New Zealand thoroughbreds that can do the big 
for Cyprus. So when your thoroughbreds moved over here, was it difficult for them? Did they have to go through a big change? Was it hard for them to settle in or was it okay? Because I guess the weather's kind of the same, isn't it? Uh, from New Zealand, it's it's very difficult for them because it's our summer when it's the English winter. Mm. So it's, you know, you, if you imagine you bring a horse over here, the last horse I brought over, brought over probably too early, I brought him over in December, end of December. So that's his summer. So he came over with his summer coat mm. and he arrives and it's snowing. Mm. And then I think by June, July, he's trying to grow a winter coat, but the sun's coming out. So they're just very confused and they uh, it's very hard to keep the weight on them. You know, it's, it's like having a horse with a hangover for a year. <laughs> How long does it take to get them settled in in the end? I think you lose a year. Really? Yeah, I reckon it takes a year before things start to work properly again. Eating habits, drinking habits, you know, before they become, you know, how you remember them in New Zealand. Have you had any that you've thought are too stressed and think this isn't worth it, you know, just send them home? No, I I just, I mean, I've probably had nine or ten horses come over now um, and you just need to give them time. Mm. And when you notice them going through that patch, which they all do, haven't had one that hasn't, you've got to just back off and give them time. And so, uh, for instance, the last horse I was talking about, he came over, he arrived, and I worked him the next day after he arrived, just a little bit. I think it's useful if the horse can come out, work, get a little bit of a sweat, and then they go back, it makes them hungry, so then they eat, and then they drink, and so on and so on, and that, that begins to get them regular. But then it comes a time where I ride him, like, you know, he just felt knackered today, he wasn't interested. So then I'll turn him out for a week, bring them back in, see how they feel. If they feel good, I'll start again. If not, turn them out for another week and just you know, keep coming and going. Don't, there's uh, no pressure for the horse to perform, certainly in the first year. They just take their time to adapt. It's interesting that you ride them the next day because everyone I've ever known has always said, don't ride the horse this, as soon as you move them because it's too scary. <laughs> they, they're too stressed. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm not getting on it. I wait two weeks. <laughs> let the horse chill out but actually i've seen a good response from people that do move their horse and they get on them the next day the horse just then knows right this is what we're supposed to do yeah i think horses love routine get them into routine as soon as possible much better than checking them in a box or in a field and let them uh, contemplate what's going on Mm. yeah they understand they come in they tie up they get saddled up clean their feet out they get worked they get hosed down yeah. They get rugged up, they get put away, they get fed. You know, all those things is their routine that they have every day. Uh, I think that it's, it's the quicker you can get them into that, the better. You sound like a really kind horseman. Like you don't just think it's not just about the riding, it's the overall welfare, it's the connection that you have with your horse. Have you looked at this? Have you tra- have you trained in any particular kind of way or is it just natural? Uh, well, I mean, I think I, I got into horses for good reasons because I genuinely love the animal. But also, too, I guess the people that you're involved with and the people that you work with with the horses, you know, that's the way I've been brought up to work with the horses. You know, I would train with Kevin for years and he's a very good horse and he's very kind. All of his horses love him. They all love to work for him. Um, I trained with Mark, training with Eric, Andrew Gould. You know, all the people that I've trained with have that same philosophy and I guess that's why I like to work with them is because we have that same theory. But, you know, you, you are a product of the people that are around you and um, you know, I try to surround myself with other good horsemen. So for people then that would like to be an amazing horseman and possibly become an eventer, is there anything that you could 
kind of a bit of advice that you could offer them basically some stuff that you did completely wrong and said look don't do this <laughs> right well how much time do we have <laughs> i think the obvious one is work ethic if you want to be involved in working with horses you have to have huge work ethic because that's at the end of the day that's what it comes down to um you're going to lose more time than you win it's just one of those sports you know but the, the highs are better than the lows and if you can uh, see out all the lows and eventually you will get to the next high so I guess you have to be resilient and you have to be very open-minded. You never, ever stop learning with horses, ever. And, you know, you, you think, I remember sitting there thinking, wow, by the time I get the four-star, I should know everything I need to know. <laughs> I mean, I think by the time I got the four-star, I think I realized I, I knew enough to know I know nothing. <laughs> wow, yeah. You know, like it just it just never, ever stops. So um, having an open mind and, you know, being prepared to take on different methods from different trainers and working with different people and uh, making good choices with the people you surround yourself. You know, don't, don't get involved. Look at the people that you see riding and training and, and watch the way their horses go for them and the way they're presented and how they work. And you know, if the horses look trained and happy and confident all the rest of it, Mm. That that means that they're a good horseman. You can go and learn something from them. Those are brilliant. Thank you. I'm writing them down now. Every single point. And Joker, which, which horses? You know, we've talked about Clifton Lush, Clifton Signature, Clifton Promise. Who you're retiring? Which horses should we be looking out for now? Which ones are your favourites for the future? Um, well, it's like having children, isn't it? You've got to say you don't have a favourite, but you must have but one. You do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Promise will always be my favourite. He just will because I've done everything with him. I'm, he, he's won me a competition at every single level, apart from uh, novice level. I, I never went novice on him. I, I did one novice, but then I went on to intermediate. He's won all the way through for me. I've travelled the world with him. He's always going to be my favourite. It's just the way it is. And I think every horse needs to understand that before I start working with him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess the you know, Clifton Lush, I think, will be hopefully my horse for the Olympics. Clifton Signature is the backup horse for that, and if not, then he'll he'll do Arkin and go to Poe. Uh, behind that, I have a really a couple of really exciting horses. A horse called Angus Blue, who's a New Zealand thoroughbred that we brought over, and I believe this will be the Promise type horse. He'll be very good for the big four stars. You'll probably never see him win a one day event, mm-hmm. but I I expect if everything goes to plan, he'll be very competitive at the big events, the four stars. So, sorry, Joe, how come he won't win a one-day event but he could win a four-star? Uh, well, his dressage won't be a strong point. He'll do a very tidy test, and once he gets established, he won't make any mistakes. I think he'll be very correct. But he's not going to compete against a big mover. Ah, oh, okay. But when you take him to badminton or burley and it's uh, windy and muddy and people are struggling for time, he's very, very tough. He's very, very fast, and he really likes his job. Um, and he'll be the type of horse that makes time when others don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'll come out the next day, and I think he'll jump clear very easily. He's a, he's a great jumper, and he's very tough. He loves to jump. I see. And he loves to jump clear. So the really flash horses tend to struggle in those circumstances. Do you know, you give them a little, the way that you explain it gives them a little personality. It's like, I love it. Right, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I know each one now. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. So, sorry, so that was Angus Blue, and then you said you've got one more. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got, a, got a few, but the next ex, you know, the next ones to come through that'll be exciting. The, the next one is called Zazu, named after the bird in The Lion King. Mm, okay, did you name him? No, actually, um, the owner of these horses, his, his son, Alex, 
general, he names all of the horses. And um, I've got some cracking names. Angus Blue, Zazu, Cookie Monster, Big Bong, <laughs> Vitaly. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, a very important part of our team, actually. How old naming, is he? Naming the horses. Uh, he's just turned 18. Oh, is he? Yeah. I thought you were going to say he was about six. No, no. 18 is <laughs> a champion. He's very good at Zazu is Holstein bred. He is eight years old. He's very, very fancy on the flat. I mean, his last couple of outings, he's done like a – once he did a 16 dressage, another time he did a 15.5 dressage. My God. Uh, he doesn't want to take a take a row on show jumping. Um, he's a little bit cheeky at the moment, but he'll, he'll grow out of that. And I think he'll be very good for, you know, up to eight minutes – Cross country, and uh, you know, if the time comes where I go, you know, you want to feel strong, and he feels like he can cope with a with a long one, then we'll take him there. But he was bought specifically for CICs. Okay, and he's got what? Doesn't he have the same owner as one of the other horses that you own? Yes, that, Angus, that you ride. Angus so Blue. Angus, yeah, yes, and yeah. that's nice for the owners then to see a couple of their horses, you know, doing really well. Yeah, yeah, they've um, you know that they bought these horses young, unproven horses, and uh, they wanted to be involved in the whole process, not just buying a horse at a high level and jumping on the bandwagon. They wanted to do it from the start, and, you know, like like planting a seed and watching it grow rather than just buying a mature tree. It's almost like a, a better sense of achievement, isn't it, to be able to see something that really was nothing to start with? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay, cool. That's, that's definitely why they do it. So what have you got coming up then? Where can we see you? Uh, Obviously next, Rio. <laughs> hopefully Rio, yes. Uh, next one for me is Tattersalls International. I have uh, Zazu and a horse called Optimus Prime in mm-hmm. the one star. And I have uh, Angus Blue in the CRC three star. And um, after that, I would just have some you know, some one day events to prepare for the for the up and coming bigger events. And I'll do Arkin before the Olympics, and then the Olympics will be uh, yeah, focus. Will the sorry? I know that I'm taking up loads of your time. You're right. I, I won't be much longer. Um, you were talking earlier about the horses struggling from New Zealand to the UK. So how will it affect them flying to Rio if they've already had that? big trip i know it was a few years ago but will it will it be difficult for them i think they're better off now because they've just dealt with it once before they're i guess a little condition to it and i would much rather take a horse that has traveled once before Mm. it's not uncommon for a horse to feel the effects of traveling from one side of the world to the other so it wouldn't even make me nervous if they traveled and and had to have time off once they got there the way we do it for the olympics is we're going to travel in very close to the competition and the horse, I think, will be in and out before they feel the jet lag. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I think the problem is if you went three months before the competition, that's when you tend to see ah. see. Oh. Do you get to take a big team with you, like in terms of people? Uh, we take our high-performance management team. So we'll have Tim Farrier, Andrew Nichols will come along, chiropractor Lee Miller, our vet, Christiana Oberle comes, and we have our show-jumping coach, Uh Lewis and our dressage coach Isabel Vessels Uh, they will all be there Um, and our main coach and chef to keep Eric Devander will be there and that's pretty well it and uh, you can't forget obviously our groom sorry (laughs) (laughs) the (laughs) the most important part and uh, and I heard I heard Trisha from Childrick Saddles is going over as well she's got to make sure that your saddles fitted correctly Uh, well she always does that (laughs) 
she's, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we took our horse around uh, badminton with no breastplate, which is a, a testament to Trisha's saddle fitting skills. Oh, awesome. <laughs> we, we, we wanted to test her out, so we thought, let's take the breastplate off and see how it goes. <laughs> she said that she's getting some flights over to Rio. I said, Trisha, you're not going to have time to rest. You're going to be running around. There's so many amazing riders over there. She's like, I know, I know. She's going to struggle, bless her, but... Yeah, so she'll be with yeah, helping you out, I guess. Yep, yep. No, she and she's she's very good at that. It gives me great confidence to know that she's checked over the saddle before I go. Good. So, how can we follow you, Jock? Because we want to stay up to date with everything you're doing. Uh, well, I have a website. Yeah. And a Facebook page. What, what's your website Twitter address? JockPagetEventing.com, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, JockPagetEventing.com. Your Twitter, if we want to follow you on Twitter, is at JockPaget. Yep. Uh, you're on Facebook, Jock Paget Adventing, and you're on Instagram too. Yes, that's right. Jock Paget underscore Adventing. Yes. Brilliant. You can post videos on there as well. Yeah, I haven't figured that out yet, but uh, that's what they say. Yeah, you just click, click, play. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at it either. <laughs> oh well, Jock, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm so happy I'm taking you away me. from your dinner. It's no problem at all. <laughs> and good luck. <laughs> thank you very much. You too. Thanks, take care. Okay, see you later. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Next week, I'm talking to Libby Head, the Young USA eventer. She had her debut at badminton and her story is really, really fascinating. She talks about the first time she saw her horse and how she's trained him for the last eight years to actually riding at badminton. It's an amazing story. If you haven't subscribed yet, head on over to Acast Plus because I've got a whole bunch of exclusive episodes just for you. It's only $3.99 a month. You get to hear in interviews with top riders like Gemma Tattersall, Mark Todd in Backstage at Badminton, also caught up with Beanie Sturgis and Izzy Taylor. You get top advice from industry experts like David Andrews, the international show jumper, and he also owns Andrews Bowen Equestrian Surfaces. So we did a whole episode on equestrian surfaces and how they help your horse or hinder your horse, depending on what type of breed you have. Matt, the bit expert, gives us top advice on different bits. There's loads of great stuff coming up over the next few months. I'm really, really excited about it. So if you do get five minutes, go and have a look at Acast Plus. In the meantime, you can catch up with us on Twitter. I'm at Amy Stevenson one and Horse Hours at Horse Hour. Hope you have a great week. Speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag Horse Hour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 